We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Bellotto. Today we are here to recap day three of the New York Giants Agency. Is it day three? I don't even know. I'm losing track of the days. I'm out here in the beautiful sunny today, Las Vegas, Nevada, where it is much, much, much more crowded than I expected it to be. There are people everywhere on the streets, in the hotels, in the casinos. A lot of mask wearing, so that's good, I guess, from that standpoint. But definitely a lot of people. People are not treating this as anything different, which I don't care. I mean, I'm having a great time out here. It's March Madness about to get going here. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun so far tonight. Uh, after this recording, I'm actually heading over to a friend's birthday who's also out here with some of his friends, his home friends. He has a cabana over at Circa where they apparently have an unbelievable sports book. So I'm really excited to get over to Circa. He's got a cabana. And we got to meet a liquor and food minimum. So we got a lot of drinking and a lot of eating, I guess, to be done later today as we watch, hopefully, Michigan State take down UCLA because I bet on Michigan State, candidly. And I'll be placing some bets on every other playing game tonight. But before any of that, we're going to talk some Giants football, Nick. Let's talk some Giants football. It's another day in the life of the Giants free agency. They're active. I knew this would happen. I knew the Giants would be a lot more active in free agency than anyone thought they would be. I just knew it. The Giants don't sit on their money. The Giants understand the cap's going to go up. The Giants want to improve its team. Every free agency they spent. And they had three more deals come in since we last recorded. And that doesn't even include Kenny Galladay, who's meeting with the team today. And likely, or at least hopefully, they hope, we hope, signing. So let's talk all the Giants football rumors, all the news. Let's get into it. Where do you want to start, Nick? What stands out to you first? Well, first off, you just brought up Kenny Galladay. And you can probably knock off the Miami Dolphins because they signed Wolf Fuller. 
Fuller about an hour ago. So that's one big contender right there for Kenny Galladay that's eliminated. And I hear the Bears are interested in him. But then what does that say about Allen Robinson? Could Allen Robinson possibly not be a Chicago Bear this next season? I think I think that's kind of interesting too, right, Dan? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Allen Robinson has had his issues with the Bears in general. For starters, he doesn't love the quarterback play that he's been granted there. And though I do think a pocket passer like Dalton, who has decent accuracy, could actually help in ball placement, could actually help in Allen Robinson. But then again, that offensive line's getting older and worse. So that's not great. I think he wants out of there. They didn't they didn't they haven't paid him any respect. They haven't actually given him the long term deal that he's been basically looking for and seeking for at this point, almost a full year, calendar year. So it could be interesting if they went after Galladay, would they then go ahead and trade Allen Robinson? I don't know if that would be the case. I don't know what kind of market he would have coming off the front, uh, you know, being traded off the franchise tag. Definitely a lot of moving parts there. Absolutely. But let's stay in the NFC North, Dan. I mean, the Giants added an edge rusher yesterday. I feed I Odenigbo. Yeah, this one's going to be really, really difficult for me to pronounce, so I'm happy you went there first. Afidai Ogundigbo, I'm saying it again just so I can hopefully ingrain it in my memory, but this is the type of move I love, Nick. I was really excited when I learned about this move. This remi- this, this, I, I said yesterday, I don't think I'm going to like any move more than the John Ross deal. I think this one I'm going to end up liking more than the John Ross deal. This reminds me a lot of Kyler Fackrell, but they're very different players. I think this one has a lot more upside than Kyler Fackrell because I think that he could specifically fit this system a little bit better off the edge. I think he specifically has a lot more upside as a pass rusher, just given his natural traits. And yeah, he was a seventh-round pick, but that doesn't matter. He's proven himself on limited snaps, despite not playing many snaps at all. He's proven that he can get the job done. And so, as a pass rusher, and he's been pretty effective, I think, on a per-snap basis. So, you've obviously done a lot more work on him than I have. I'm over here in Vegas. So, tell me what you've seen watching him on tape and reading a little bit about him. Yeah, he's not the longest, which is somewhat of an issue, but he's a high-motor type of pass rusher who gives 120%. Every damn snap has good power at the point of attack and plays with really, really good leverage, really low hips, really can kind of control the point of attack. I think he plays somewhat with reckless power, and what I mean by that is he doesn't always have a plan. He he loves to go to the bull rush, and his bull rush is effective, but sometimes his bull rush can be a little bit reckless and it leaves him susceptible to be snatched and trapped, which I saw one time against, I think it was Charles Leno of the Chicago Bears. But he is more of a power rusher than he is finesse. I think his use of hands need work in the initial parts of snaps, but up the pass rushing arc, he does an excellent job getting to his rip move. That is one of the best things he can do, convert speed to power, use his bull rush to get to the outside shoulder and establish the half-man relationship and get to that rip move. He uses his hands very well in that aspect. He's not overly flexible or bendy, but he can bend through contact, and he he has cornered on his tape. So as a pass rusher, you like him. As a run blocker, you put tight ends on him, he's just going to dominate them because he's just really, really stout and strong, compact type of player. But tackles who are longer are going to be able to kind of dictate the snap because they have long arms, they can make initial contact, Yeah, he has shown the ability to set the edge. I don't think he's necessarily great at doing that against, we're going to say, good to elite level tackles. But I don't think he's going to be a liability there either. So I think the Giants really got a good 26-year-old player right now. He's going to be 27 when the season starts on a cheap deal. I I really like this one. Yeah, me too. I'm big on it. And just based on everything you said, to me, what really stands out is something I read 
maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, from Daniel Jeremiah, who probably, in my mind, I respect more than just about anybody in the football community. Jeremiah worked in multiple for multiple teams as a scout. Now he's obviously the lead draft analyst for NFL Network. I don't think anybody puts in more time, in my mind, from what I've seen in the mainstream, at least, watching film than Jeremiah. And what he said is, one conclusion that he's come to recently is that it's more important and you should emphasize more finding power rushers and rushers who can convert power to, or I'm sorry, speed to power and power speed than it is to find these edge bendy guys, these twitchy guys off the edge because he believes the game is changing a lot. And in the new game, those guys who can kind of bend the edge and, and rush speed off the edge, they're less important because more offenses are designed now to get rid of the football very quickly within the first two and a half seconds. And even more so, some offenses are now designed to get rid of the football with under two seconds. And so these guys who are more power rushers, like I think we're going to find here with this giant signing, are going to be more valuable. And especially that doesn't even consider to factor in, like you said, they're also going to be more stout in the run games. They're more two-way players in that regard, and they're less of liabilities, guys that you feel more comfortable with to set the edge if they need to on any given snap if a team is going to, you know, run the football out of a pass-heavy personnel package because sometimes that'll happen. Good coordinators will do that. And I feel like that's really important to get players like that. I think Jeremiah's onto something. So I like the fact that he's one of those type of prospects more than anything else. I like the fact that he's still young. I like the fact that there's a chance for upside since he didn't get to play that many snaps on Minnesota because they have a loaded, loaded, loaded group of edge rushers and guys who can rush the passer. And that's not the case with the Giants. The Giants don't have much depth at that position. And so I think this is an all-around really good, low-risk, again, one-year, small, small, small cap hit deal that could really pay off for the Giants. I agree. I mean, last year he had 42 pressures. He ended up, he has 10 and a half career sacks He had 26 pressures the year prior. So he's kind of just had these last two years. And like you said, he played on a deeper front over there in Minnesota. They drafted DJ Wanham out of South Carolina last year. And that kind of made Odenigbo a little bit more expendable. And that's why he became available. But I, I just like the competitive toughness that he's going to bring to this defense, you know he's going to always give his all. Similar to what we said about Kyler Fackrell, man, he plays with his hair on fire. He's an excellent backside pursuit defender, and a lot of offenses love to leave tight ends on the backside to try to block these edge guys, and he consistently beat the tight ends to their inside shoulder and did not allow the tight ends to get into his chest. And then he would just use his just acceleration foot speed to catch up to the running back and track them down from the backside. And that's something that you want to see. I mean, it just kind of keeps the whole continuity of the defense together. All things you absolutely love to hear. I think this is just really excellent move for the Giants. Very good chance this ends up being, when we look back at free agency, the best value move, I think, for sure. And Again, gives them a little bit of peace to mind when it comes to the edge position because Lorenzo Carter returning off a torn Achilles, that's not great. Athletes do not have the best track record of returning off torn Achilles. They usually make the comeback, but sometimes they're sapped of the very athleticism that made them who they are. We hope that's not the case with Carter, but it's certainly a possibility. Shane is imminent. Nobody really knows the deal there. That was never expected to turn into the the, the lengthy injury it, it became. But either way, I think that leaves him with a question mark. And, of course, Kyler Fackrell remains unsigned and a free agent at this point. Now, I can see a definite scenario where Fackrell returns to the Giants on a really cheap deal just to play with the team that he was with last year, not have to move, uproot everything, his life. And especially that would be the case if, you know, there's not a lot of interest there. But either way, it was really important, I think, to add a piece. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Set edge here, especially one with upside like this, like uh, Odigenbo that will have. <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to you pronouncing his name all yeah, throughout. Did you see how fast I season. tried to get? Did you see how fast I tried to say it there? I, I don't hey. know if you picked up on that. I tried to rush through that, you know, so no one picks up on how poorly I uh, I announced it. Odinigbo, that's it. It's it's it, when you when you just break it down to three syllables, it's it's it makes it so Odinigbo. much easier. Odinigbo. Wait, I actually think it's going to be well, better and easier for me to get four Odinigbo. syllables. Yeah, I think I can get Odenigbo down. I don't think I'll ever be able to get a Fetty unless it is just a Fetty. But if there that EA sound is it's very tough. <laughs> it's all good. But that's not the only Vikings that they signed, Dan. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's go first with the with the move they made before that, because I think there's going to be a lot to talk about with the, with the other Viking they signed. So let's first talk about... Uh, the decision to sign Mike Glennon to a contract. Now, I don't have the details yet on the Glennon deal. Do you have them, Nick? I do not, but I have watched a bunch of Glennon film, unfortunately, this morning. Unfortunately. I would not expect you to say unfortunately. But, I mean, yeah, you're going to say unfortunately, I think, because how good could Glennon film be? But please, can you at least uh, <laughs> compare it to the film you watched of Colt McCoy? Is it, okay. Was it better than that? Uh, well, he can push the ball vertically, and he can make – all the NFL throws. So that's something that is not going to restrict the playbook. If Daniel Jones goes down, other than the fact that he's a little bit more statuesque and he's not going to have the movement skills of Daniel Jones. So the playbook will be reduced from that standpoint. But at the same time, you can get Mike Glennon on the run. The Jacksonville Jaguars did that use play action boot, had him on the run. He, he's not, he's not terrible. I, I, I say, unfortunately, just because, you know, I'm just like kind of like poking fun. Like for a backup, I think it's an upgrade over Colt McCoy. Now he's prone to mistakes. And that's something that Colt McCoy was not really prone to because he's more conservative. He's not going to push the ball vertical. He's going to play within the framework what the coaching staff asks, asks him to do. But Mike Lennon is going to try to push the ball vertical. He's going to trust his receivers in one-on-one situations. And I kind of like that aggressive nature. But at the same time, there, there were times where he would make some bad choices and throw into coverage and it was just an unnecessary 
play from him. And then there's also mechanical issues too. And sometimes it doesn't really make sense. Like obviously your mechanics are going to suffer when pressure is in your face. That's going to happen. But there were times where he was in a clean pocket and his feet were just jumpy a little bit and not really set. And his body wasn't working in unison. His eyes and his shoulders and his hips and his feet weren't all going at the same point. And that leads to some accuracy issues. But I say that. And then there are other plays where he puts a dime out there on a rope too. Good velocity, good zip, and you're like, okay. So it's really just an inconsistent kind of product, but I still consider it an upgrade just because you're going to be able to unlock the vertical part of your playbook with Glenn, and you weren't going to be able to do that with Colt McCoy. Yeah, it would be tough. It would be I'd be hard-pressed to consider any quarterback they signed not an upgrade on Colt McCoy. I hated watching Colt McCoy on tape last year. I thought the offense was completely limited with Colt McCoy in the game. And I thought even what you said, like, oh, Colt McCoy at least is smart and he won't turn the ball over. Well, he threw a pick for Seattle. He should have thrown two picks for Seattle. And he threw a ball that should have been picked against Cleveland. So really, he's not even like that. I mean, considering how few chances he even took in those games, the fact that he had basically three turnover-worthy plays to me just says that he's not really that conservative type that he's built to be or that he's supposed to be because he's not good. He has no arm talent left in my mind. He never really had much arm talent. And at least Glennon has arm talent. And at least Glennon came in for the Jaguars and competed and did enough to give a coaching staff, someone with, you know, with Doug Marone on coaching staff, a guy who's literally only cared at all about winning games at that point. He knew his time was probably coming to an end with Jaguars, and he's like, screw it. I'm just going to coach to win every single game. And he, you know, his coaching staff watched the film and decided that Glennon gave them a better chance than Gardner Minshew. I don't know if I agree with that decision. I think Minshew is one of the weird, most weirdly underrated quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's still young, has a 37 to 11 touchdown to interception ratio, and just gets ballyhooed and talked about as nothing. But the fact of the matter is they saw that and he won some games and he almost made that upset of the Vikings late in the season. Um, now a case can be made that he was part of the reason they didn't make that upset with the turnovers. But at the same time, like you said, he can make all the throws. You can get him on the run on a bootleg and he can throw decently on the run. Sometimes he throws dimes on a rope. And I just think ultimately he won't limit the offense as much as McCoy would. And the, and the ultimate goal here anyway is to never see him on the field. Like, yeah, Daniel Jones was injured the first two seasons. We hope that doesn't happen again. We know for a fact, based on this last season, that injuries are not predictable. Evan Ingram was supposed to be the most injury-prone player, a guy who could never make it through a whole season. There's no chance in hell he plays 16 games. Well, that's exactly what he did last year. He played all the games. And so I don't think it's anywhere close to a lock or anything like that that Daniel Jones will miss time last year. No, I'm sorry, next year. And the hope is that he doesn't miss any time. The hope is we don't ever have to see Mike Lennon on the field. But if we do, I feel at least more comfortable with him in the game than I feel with, with than I felt with Colt McCoy. And lastly on this one, at least for me, would just be that I think ultimately the Giants made the right move here not to invest more money it would take to maybe sign a Mitch Trubisky or something like that, someone with more upside. Just because you I I do I did come around to the to the line of logic that suggests that like why even invest in backup quarterback if Jones gets hurt? Just give up. Like last year, you know, they were in a position where Jones got hurt and they were still playing meaningful games. I use meaningful here with air quotes because I don't want the annoying Giants, <laughs> the people who who just get on my nerves, I'll be honest, to be like, oh, yeah, they were competing for the playoff spot. They had six wins last year. We need to really keep that in, in frame of mind. I think it's important not to overrate what that team was last year. But Again, if they do lose Jones, I think a good case can be made that whatever, the season's over. Like you don't you don't need to worry about Mike Glennon pushing you into anything. Mike Glennon's not winning a Super Bowl. Colt McCoy's not winning a Super Bowl. You know what I mean, Nick? So ultimately I I'm I like the move. 
Dude, this guy is six foot six. Yes. And there's about eight inches in his neck. It's like absolutely <laughs> insane. He can. Yeah, he's a weird looking dude. I remember watching him on Hard Knocks <laughs> with the Raiders, and uh, John Gruden was kind of going off on him and really tough on him and hard on him. I forgot who else they had competing with him. It was him and some some small dude. I forgot who. Do you remember that? Was it Connor Cook or no? I don't think it was Cook at that point. I think it was some other dude because I would remember Cook from the Big Ten games. I just kind of remember what Cook is like and what he looks like. It was someone else that like was a super small QB, you know, not didn't have the prototypical tools, and he was like beating out Glennon at one point. And Gruden was all pissed. He's like, "This guy Glennon, like, he's got it all. Why can't he put it all together?" So I don't think they're <laughs> well, getting any great quarterback with Glennon. Like you said, there's mechanical issues. I don't think he's great at processing defenses. There's all sorts of issues with Glennon, but. At least if you put him in, he's not going to Colt McCoy you and just shrink the entire field. Yeah, I have a film review of him coming out on Giants Country SI, so uh, Patty Trainer will be tweeting that out. And, I mean, you'll see there are impressive throws that he makes, and you're like, oh, wow, that was a really nice ball placement. There's some throws with really good touch, velocity, really eye-opening. But then when you when you go through his film, you're just like, oh, you, you kind of shake your head at some of the mistakes that he makes and some of the mechanical issues that he does have. But, man, I mean, he's, he's not going to have any problems seeing over the offensive line. I'll tell you that, Dan. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> All right, let's get into the last signing, the big one the Giants made. Probably, I guess, at this point, their big, their is this their biggest deal so far in free agency, really, with the exception of obviously Leonard Williams. I uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big move. I mean, they're committing. From what we've seen, it looks like it's going to be a two-year, up to sixteen million dollar deal. That's up to eight per year. From what I guess Jordan and Rodden tweeted out, but. I don't think any of those details are finalized, and I think there's probably incentive based in these in this contract. But a two-year, $60 million deal is a sizable investment to make. And the Giants signed Kyle Rudolph, former Minnesota Vikings tight end, former first-round pick. Um, what is Kyle Rudolph now? How old is Kyle Rudolph? Let me check. He's 31. 31-year-old. Not terrible. Not terrible, especially considering the role's been kind of scaled back a bit. So there's less tread on the tires, I believe, just based on the last two seasons. And I think the Vikings ultimately – you know, didn't didn't moved on from him just because they believe in Irv Smith. Irv Smith's a really good talent. They want to get Irv Smith more opportunities. So it was money there. Too. What do you make of this? What do you make of this deal, Nick? It was money too. That's a big reason why. Because the Vikings went to Kyle Rudolph, asked him to restructure. He said no, so they released him. I don't love the the money, to be honest. Now, I really like the signing of Kyle Rudolph. I think Jason Garrett has been missing that prototypical Y type of inline tight end, something that he had with Jason Witten throughout his time in Dallas. He doesn't really have that here with Evan Ingram. Kane Smith, is they use him in a different way. They use him more as an H-backs on those counter-tray type of runs. But I think Kyle Rudolph can be that base tight end on uh, for this Giants offense on the line of scrimmage and he can block. Now, I don't think he's an elite level blocker. I think he's a good blocking tight end. He's six foot six, 265 pounds. He moves well laterally. He played predominantly in a zone system with the Vikings throughout his entire time there. But I think he's his skill set can translate into these gap power type of concepts, especially to the play side. Now, if he's the play side tight end, and you pull the backside guard, I think he can do an excellent job blocking down on a seven technique or a six technique or even a five technique and kind of washing them down the line of scrimmage. And he has enough lower body drive and ability to kind of generate force and push them off the spot to allow an alley to open up. I think from that standpoint, it's good. And I also think he's a good pass blocker too. And I know we said that about Levine Toilolo, but he has quick feet. He has nimble feet. He's long arms. And I think from a blocking standpoint, it's an upgrade over Levine Toilolo. Now, as a receiver, I also love it. Now, he's not a crisp route runner. He's not 
going to create separation or anything like that. But just from underneath standpoint and what they asked Evan Ingram to do, the Giants, I think Kyle Rudolph's going to do that much better. And he's gigantic, has a huge catch radius, and he's very strong-handed. So I really like it from that standpoint. I think the investment's a little bit much for me, but I'm not going to just sit here and complain about that because I think they added somebody who can make the offense better in the, in the eyes of what Jason Garrett wants to do. Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about with this deal. Some of just breaking down what Rudolph actually is and then breaking down what the deal is. That's two things I want to dive into, some of what you already touched on, but also what it means. I think that's ultimately going to be more interesting and important, I guess I would say. So first of all, let's start with what he is before I get into the deal. I, From everything I've read and talked to, and I actually have a Vikings insider that I was just about to jump on a podcast with before I flew to Vegas and then decided against it. Uh, he wanted to talk a little Dalvin Tomlinson. But I was talking to him about Rudolph after the deal was made. And one thing he noted was how good Kyle Rudolph actually is in pass protection. And I think that's something you mentioned, Nick. And I think that's really interesting to me because if you're going to roll out Matt Parrott there at right tackle, somebody who struggled at the end of the season in pass protection, but ultimately I think projects better at least next year as a run blocker. And long term, I like Pat uh, Parrott's upside as a pass blocker. But as of right now, I think he'll be a better run blocker. But if you're going to throw him out there, which it looks like they're going to try to do, um, and try to let him kind of play his way into that starting role, then it's going to be good to have a guy like Kyle Rudolph out there who you can use to help in pass protection. I think that's going to be really helpful for Parrott and for the Giants overall. Now, the second thing is, I think Rudolph's going to be a really good red zone target for the Giants. I think that's probably one of the most underrated parts of his game. And the Giants need red zone options. Last year, for example, um, I feel like every time they got down into the red zone, you know, they didn't really have that go-to receiver to throw to, that go-to playmaker. Evan Ingram, not a great route runner in the red zone, not a great contested catch receiver, not great, doesn't have strong hands at the catch point. I think with the exception of route running, and even though I do think, you know, like you said, he doesn't, he's not the Christmas route runner, he doesn't create crazy separation with his athleticism, but I think he's a solid route runner from what I've seen, Kyle Rudolph, and I think especially that's especially true in the red zone. And then I think he has really, really strong hands at the catch point. You saw it, obviously, in that playoff game two years ago when the Vikings beat the Saints on that controversial Push-off play. Yeah, the push-off play, a controversial call, but really strong hands at the catch point, and he's got good body control as well. He's been a great red zone target his entire career, so I think he's going to be really helpful in that regard. Here are some stats on him, actually courtesy of, I just saw this on Twitter from Justin Pennick. Uh 75%, 81%, and 75% catch rate over the last three seasons. That's awesome. Average 12 yards of reception in 2020. That's pretty good. One drop total in the last three seasons. So you know you're getting short hands. The complete opposite of Evan Ingram in that regard. Um, and then 5.9 yards yards after the catch per reception in 2020. Still's got a little juice left to him after the catch. So I think in a lot of ways, he kind of projects to me on the field as like a Jason Witten light type player for Jason Garrett. Um, at least, you know, prime Jason Witten light type player for Jason Garrett, which is good because ultimately that's what I think this offense needs. Now let's get to the contract. The contract does feel a little Golden Tate-ish, to be honest. You know Dave Gettleman is prone to these types of deals, paying for veterans, something he likes to do. But at worst, it's a two-year deal. At best, there's more guaranteed money in year one or you know the second year is structured so they can get out of the deal with a minimal cap hit if he falls off. I don't think he's going to fall off. I think they can count on him for two years. So I don't hate the deal at all. It's a decent amount of money to pay for him, but ultimately, I think he can offer them a lot if he's playing a lot of snaps. But now that leads me to the next question, Nick. Where are they at right now with tight end? Because they now have Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, 
who has a fully guaranteed uh, contract this year, one-year deal. Caden Smith, who we both liked a lot more on tape than it appears the Giants do, but we'll get to that in a second. And then Levine Toilolo, who they restructured, so he's basically going to be on the team, it almost seems like, this year. First of all, they also signed a fullback. So I can't see any scenario where the Giants are rolling into game day with five active combined tight ends and fullback on the roster. That just never happens. It's so rare to see a team do that. So what do you think is going on right now with the tight end position? I don't think all these guys are locks to make the roster. I think Kyle Rudolph will be there. Evan Ingram, if he's not traded, I think he'll be there. Caden Smith, I hope, would be there. But I think this means Gillespie and Toy Lolo. One of those guys is probably not going to make the team. I did say earlier that I believe four tight ends is what they would want on this roster. And I, and that that discludes Kyle Pitts. I don't think the fact that they signed Kyle Rudolph means they're not going to draft Kyle Pitts because I think Kyle Pitts would be a receiver if they were to go in that direction. But I just don't know if, if say, the Giants find an undrafted rookie tight end that they really like, sort of like Rice and John last year, only a little bit better. I think if that kid came in and competed, he could crack this roster over someone like Levine Toilolo. Just because they restructured and kept him doesn't mean that he's going to be on the active roster when game day rolls around. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the two things that stand out there, I think you're right. I think ultimately they can, in fact, restructure a toilet and then cut him in camp. It's not like they're going to take a huge cap hit from that. I think ultimately that could come into play. But I want to touch on two things that really stand out to me. The first would be, could this lead to a potential Evan Ingram trade? There's been a lot of rumors about an Evan Ingram trade. Like I said on the podcast yesterday, there was a rumor from Jordan Ronan that the Giants were involved in the bidding war for Hunter Henry. There was also, you know, a rumor that the Giants could trade Evan Ingram to the Jets for a mid-round pick. Hopefully it would be for that early third. That would be, I would love to trade Evan Ingram going into this final year on his deal for an early third. And by the way, if they were to trade Evan Ingram, it's a $0 dead cap it on the Giants. So they could trade him and get rid of that deal and clear in, in the process, they'd be clearing a ton of cap space and be taking no dead cap it. So I think that Leads me to believe a trade is definitely possibly in play. I think the Bills, the Jets are teams that come to mind as potential suitors for Evan Ingram. Um, so what do you think about that? Do you think that this could lead to a potential Evan Ingram deal? Or are you taking at face value what Joe Judge has said about Evan Ingram? I think it just opens up the opportunity. I, I don't necessarily think that it means that he definitely will be. I think they could easily coexist on this roster and you can use Evan Ingram more as an athlete and not as much as a tight end. Now you have to be creative about how you employ your personnel because you don't want to, you know, roll out there with Evan Ingram out there on play action passes and just kind of tip your hand. So you'd have to be smart and judicious with how you use your personnel. But I think they could both coexist, but I do believe this gives them the option. Say if somebody does want to offer a fourth round pick or something like that for Evan Ingram, the giants can now do that. Cause they have somebody other than Caden Smith on the roster that you can rely on. To me, it seems a little gluttonous right now, Nick, from just an overall personnel standpoint. So if you're paying Kyle Rudolph $8 million a year, and you're paying Evan Ingram $8 million a year, and you sign Galladay, and you have Shepard, and you have Slayton, and you have Ross, and then let's say you go out and draft a Jalen Waddle, you're never going to be able to get these guys all on the field. And if you're using Ingram and and Smith, I'm sorry, and Rudolph in bit roles, but you're allocating $16 million in cap space for guys to play 30, 40% of the snaps or whatever it might be. And then, or, or you just now have, you have Galladay, you have Shepard who's making money, not getting enough snaps if you draft a Waddle. Like to me, if they keep Ingram and they don't trade Ingram, I think this will preclude them from taking Kyle Pitts, first of all, which I want to get to with you in a second. And I also think 
it puts them in a weird spot because if you go out and you use the 11th overall pick on a wide receiver or pits, there's just not enough snaps to go around. You're just allocating so much cap space to guys who are sitting on the bench and on the sidelines for just such a high percentage of snaps. Like you can't get all these guys on the field. Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, Jalen Waddle, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. That's the six Giants players. don't have Kenny Galladay right now. If they sign Kenny Galladay, I'm saying. Yeah, if they sign Kenny Galladay, yeah. Even now, if they don't sign Kenny Galladay. Now you have Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Jalen Waddle, and John Ross. That's six players for, for, what, four spots? Five spots. Well, it depends on what are you exactly talking about. Like, what personnel package are you rolling out? So if they're ro- that's the point. I mean, like, if they're rolling 11 or 12, either way, one of those guys is not going to be on the field. Yeah, it'd be Caden Smith and Darius Slayton snaps would probably take a huge hit in the offense. I don't see Darius Slayton snaps take a huge hit, to be honest with you. To be, I just quite clearly, um, I would rather it's – just, it's, just, it's a lot to invest in guys. You know, like I get it. I get it. Slayton doesn't take, make a huge cap hit, but then you can also get an advantage from that by playing a guy like that on a lot of snaps. And I think Slayton's earned the right to play a lot of snaps. And I think Slayton has by far and away the best rapport with Daniel Jones, with the exception of maybe Sterling Shepard. And that's not something you're going to see right away with Kyle Rudolph. It's something that has never developed with Evan Ingram. And so to me, it just feels very gluttonous if they're to keep Ingram and then go out and draft a Kyle Pitts or a Jalen Waddle. And to me, honestly, I don't really understand how they could even draft a Kyle Pitts at this point with Evan Ingram. You don't really – Evan Ingram can't line up against a corner. I guess you can put Kyle Pitts up against a corner, but that doesn't really make enough sense to me because you don't want Kyle Pitts playing the majority of his snaps lined up on the boundary. You, and then if you have Kyle Pitts, Ingram, and Rudolph, then you're really sitting a lot of these guys for a lot of snaps. I think with Kyle Pitts, you could line him up on the boundary, to be honest. But you could, I, but do you want to? I think they may be looking to maybe move Ingram if they were to think about entertaining Kyle Pitts, to be honest. But Waddle's a different story. Now, there's also John Ross, too, somebody else they just added. But he's somebody who might not even make the team And we're also kind of doing this little scenario under the assumption that the Giants do land Kenny Galladay, which is also something that has not happened yet. Oh, I'm doing this on the assumption they don't. If they land Kenny Galladay, and then they're then they have a huge glut, in my opinion, of these skill possessed players. (laughs) If they land Kenny Galladay after this Rudolph signing, like I already wasn't huge on the idea of drafting a receiver after adding Kenny Galladay. If they land Kenny Galladay after paying eight million a year for Kyle Rudolph. I think I'm just totally out on it. And even if they're the best player available, it's just a glut. It's a glutton. Like, if you add Galladay to this mix, right, and you're paying Shepard a good amount of money, you're paying Rudolph a good amount of money, you're paying Ingram a good amount of money, Galladay, Shepard, Rudolph, Ingram, Darius Slayton's still there. And then you're also drafting a Jalen Waddle. Like, that's, that's a crazy amount to put into skill players, and you only have so many you can put on the field at once. They said they wanted to upgrade the skill position, uh, the skill positions around Daniel Jones. It is, it would be a lot of upgrade. I don't really consider Kyle Rudolph a huge. I mean, he's definitely going to help the red zone, don't, no doubt. But I don't like consider him a huge upgrade. I'm looking at like Kenny Galladay. That's that. I don't huge either. But I don't think piece. that's that's. I don't either, Nick. That's not the point I'm trying to make. Just to be clear, I don't think he's a huge upgrade either as weapons around Daniel Jones. But it is $8 million a year, whatever it will end up being, that you're allocating towards that player. You don't want to sit a player you're paying $8 million a year for. Otherwise, why are you signing him? I think it's up to $16 million. Regardless, I don't believe it it's is. going to be in that range. Sure. But regardless, yeah. it's in that range. You can't pay that kind of range to have somebody playing 30 40% of the snaps. And that goes for Ingram as well, either of the two. 
Yeah, it's a lot of money, man, to allocate. I wish it was a little bit less, but I do believe that it's going to help this power gap system. That they're oh, trying no, no, to do I like the move. Block. I'm not trying to say that again. I'm not trying to say, I'm just saying it doesn't make too much sense to me that Ingram could, I, it starts to look to me like Ingram could not be in the plans because you, if you're allocating eight each or seven each or six each, whatever it is to Ingram and Pitts, and then you go out and you sign Galladay or you go out and you draft. Ingram's a one-year thing though, dude. And it's only one year. But he's still on the – of course, but for this year, if you're paying $8 million a year for someone to play 30 40% of the snaps, whether that be Rudolph or Ingram, it just doesn't add up to me as a, as a great move personally. I mean, like, I just don't think – I there's plenty of linemen they can put that can start over Shane Lemieux right now and be better than Shane Lemieux right now for $8 million a year in cap space. Yeah, I agree with that. Just It's just a thought. I mean – Ultimately, I think what's going to happen here is they're going to clear cap space by trading Ingram. That would be my guess right now. My guess right now is that Ingram will be dealt. That's just where I stand. I, it just doesn't add up to either that or they're going defense at 11. Because it just doesn't fully add up to me that they would s- sign Kenny Galladay, if they do, pay Rudolph and Ingram $8 million a year to play 40% of the snaps or 30% of the snaps. What, what, would you, what would you be comfortable with uh, getting in return for Evan Ingram? Because I know like a third sounds good, but like, are we actually going to get that for Evan Ingram? I'd take a fourth, honestly, an early fourth. I'd take a fourth. I mean, at this take point, four I'd... and a six—that'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, at this point, now that they have made the decision to allocate this cap space to Kyle Rudolph, I think they put themselves in a position, in my mind, where they almost have to deal Ingram. And obviously, I think Ingram and Rudolph are different players. They offer different things. And yes, it seems like on paper you'd rather have Ingram on paper. Ingram feel really truly feels to me, Nick, like a pure on paper player. I get it. He's faster than Rudolph. I get it. He should be better than Rudolph as a receiver. It doesn't really feel like he is at all times, but he should be. But at some point to me, it's like Ingram, he's so many years into this right now. And I just feel like the way the Giants use him, the way they run off they run that offense, there's just not even that much more upside really to having him, especially if they're going to go out and sign playmakers like Galladay and then draft someone like Waddle, for example. There, there, There's less of a need at that point in my mind for Ingram's speed and for what Ingram can offer with that second gear after the catch if they also have all these other guys added. Yeah, especially with the addition of even someone like John Ross who brings yeah. a whole other explosive element to the team. But Again, that also could open up a whole nother can of worms and say, hey, maybe they're not going to entertain a wide receiver or tight end at 11 now if they were to land someone like Holiday, say, which, which I think was something we expected anyways. Yeah, I mean, potentially, uh, though a lot of people have still said even if they sign Galladay, they want the Giants to draft a receiver there. If they sign Galladay, if they don't, if they sign Galladay, don't trade Ingram and and they just made this decision to sign Kyle Pitt, I'm sorry, Kyle Rudolph. I'll be at the point where I'm gonna. It's gonna be tough because there's a good chance that Pitts will be on the board, and they're gonna bypass taking best player available to take someone else. But at the same time, like, how can you really rationalize drafting players that like won't help you win right away? I mean, again, if they have, if they go into this, if they finish the draft, Nick, day one, let's say we don't even talk about day two. If they finish day one, and the roster has these the following skill position players: Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph. Kenny Galladay, Jalen Waddell, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and John Ross. That's seven players right there. And you can only get four on the field on any given snap. So unless you want to obviously take Barkley off the field, which you're not going to do. So 
that's four. That's seven players who really need time. And you could say six if you want to get rid of. If you don't want to include John Ross on that, whatever. I like I like the idea of putting Ross on the field because I think it add it it opens up things schematically for them. But I guess if you draft a Waddle or something like that, it's the same thing. So whatever you cut Ross or you leave him as depth. But even so, you're talking about six players for four spots. That's leaving two players on a really low snap count game after game, and all but Slayton have heavy investments in cap space. All but Slayton would have heavy investments, I'm sorry, in either cap space or draft capital. And then at the same time, even if you knock out Slayton, that's still five guys for four spots. And and knocking out Slayton to me isn't really a solution. I want Slayton on the field. I like Darius Slayton. I don't want to just rule him out of the out of things. I mean, it just feels to me like a big glut on the skill players. And, and I just get flashbacks a little bit, Nick, to the Jerry Reese days. I really do. If you're going to pound skill players like this, the the money allocation is the is the issue for me for sure but like having six players to play the four spots that's that's an excellent thing right there because it just allows you to use different and diverse personnel packages obviously if you're going to roll out an 11 personnel package that's only going to be one tight end so what's going to happen with Evan Ingram Caden Smith in in those types of situations but it seems like Jason Garrett loves these 12 13 personnel packages so I don't know, man. It makes me think that Kyle Rudolph is – I think Kyle Rudolph is going to kind of play this Jason Witten role. And then Evan Ingram, I don't know if they would try to use him just more as a receiver and not kind of put the blocking on his plate. That's if he's kept. But if he isn't kept, then, I mean, the Giants are going to probably end up getting another pick or two out of this. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts still. There really are a lot of moving parts here. And I think ultimately my guess, again, would be that Evan Ingram gets dealt here because – it just seems to me like, it, like of course, like anyone would rather have six, seven, eight players to play four spots on the skill players. But none of that matters if Shane Lemieux doesn't take a step forward, if Matt Parrott or Solder can't hold up at right tackle, and if Will Hernandez sucks moving over to right guard. Like literally none of this will matter. The offense won't move. It won't move at all without an offensive line. So it's a lot of resources to allocate to the skills. And again, like it's a great problem to have. Everybody wants skills, but I don't know, man. It just seems like... The, the Rudolph deal is really interesting to me because you're, when you're paying someone that kind of money and you're allocating that much cap space there, you're really and truly saying here that this guy is going to be on the field for a lot of snaps. Like, there's just no way in my mind Kyle Rudolph's not going to play 70% of the snaps next year. And then you also have Evan Ingram. So, like, does Ingram then roll, move into a bit role at that, you know, getting that $8 million per year salary, but he's in a bit role? That seems odd to me, too. So, I don't know, man. Ultimately, I think what's going to happen here is one of two things. Either they're going to sign Galladay, and they're not going to draft a skill player with either of those first two picks. Or they're going to not sign Galladay, and they're going to draft a skill player with either of those first two picks. Or they're going to trade Evan Ingram. And ultimately, I think Ingram will be on the move. It's a guess. I don't have any inside sources on this. It's pure speculation. But I do think Ingram will be traded. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that avenue happening, too. I think it's uh, really interesting. With, in terms of Kenny Galladay, too, if the Giants, if, if, if everything checks out and the Giants do end up adding him, then that just kind of opens up the range of options for that selection at 11, and we won't feel pigeonholed. Now, granted, I don't feel like we should feel, feel pigeonholed. <laughs> at, no, we shouldn't, but if the Giants don't get Galladay, I think Dave Gettleman's going to, you know, oh, got to get a receiver, got to get a receiver or Kyle Pitts, and that's going to be the pick there at 11. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we, we, we agree. We think Gettleman went into this offseason with his plan. His plan was... At, you know, he's had his whole plan every year. His first plan, like I've said, run the ball, stop the runs. All his moves led to that. The second plan, find a franchise quarterback so I can retire off in Cape Cod feeling good about it. 
talked himself into Daniel Jones. Third year, fine protection. He dra- he drafted Andrew Thomas. This year was add playmakers, plural. And so I agree with you. He will ultimately, and that's not terrible because honestly, if they're sitting at eleven, there's a very good chance that Pitts or Waddle will be there. And then there's also a very good chance, Nick, that they will be the best player available. And it's never bad to go BPA, especially when you you know it's a potential need. But if they don't, if if they sign Galladay, a lot changes in my mind. It really does. All right, good stuff. Every, um, hopefully everybody enjoyed this. Hopefully everyone's enjoying the podcasts here. I got a big day ahead of me, but I'm going to hopefully be locked in. Nick is my my eye. Nick's basically uh, what what do they call it? <laughs> I'm looking for this phrase, and I, I hate when I'm when I have a phrase in mind, but I don't remember it. They what did they say? Like the eyes on the field, not the eyes on the field. Boots on the ground. My boots on the ground. I guess is what I was looking for regarding all Giants news. So keep texting me. Keep updating me on all the Giants stuff. We'll we'll chop chop it up off pod. And then we'll bring to you more pods, obviously. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who joined us on the impromptu locker room last night. That was a lot of fun. I had a good time doing that before I got a little drunk out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And thank you to everybody who's taken the time to rate and review us on iTunes. That is still the only thing we will ever ask from you. Please, please, please do us a favor. Head over to iTunes. Hit that. Find our podcast, first of all. Subscribe to it. Then hit rate, review, and hopefully you give us a five-star review. That's all we're looking for. I mean, right now we're very close to the number that we've been looking for. Very, very, very close. We're at 498 ratings. We're trying to get to 500. We're doing our best to get to 500. But please help us get there by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. A couple new reviews that came in as we hit that drive to five. One is from Biggs CT. He said, Big Blue Banter is my top choice. First time, long time. Big fan of the show. Appreciate the film breakdowns and deep dives. I feel what separates this pod from the other Giants pods is Big Blue Banter doesn't stay on nagging opinions that most of us fans already know and feel. Well, maybe Dan a little. Just breaking your bones. Don't mind the fantasy talk either. People need to relax. All in the game, yo. All in the game. That's a wire reference that, unfortunately, will go right over Nick's head, which is just way over. sad, sad thing. Sad thing. He said, Nick, Eminem's best work is his earlier stuff for sure. Still just breaking bones or stones. It's funny. I'm also a stone mason part-time too. Nice. Well done there. I like that. He says, you come at the king, you best not miss. Another reference right over Nick's head. Just devastating, though. Just devastating to not – when a wire reference goes over someone's head, it's really a sad moment for me as someone who's the biggest proponent of the wire that you'll ever meet. I believe it's the greatest piece of artwork ever in American history. I, I truly believe it's the best piece of artwork ever. I think everyone who watches The Wire comes out of it a better person with a better understanding for different cultures and different people and different walks of life. I 100% believe that. So please, I couldn't highly recommend more watching The Wire. Last thing we'll ask you guys, please head over to Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter. Please follow us there. We've got Nick. We've got Sean now. Nick has been getting super active on that. We're posting all the time there. It takes two seconds to hit that follow button on Instagram. Please, please help us grow that page as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, but we'll be talking to you soon, way before that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.